Welcome to Joint Effort with Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. This podcast covers the pain and injuries that are associated with muscles, ligaments, and joints. Welcome to Joint Effort. I'm your host, Jason Sullivan, here with Dr. Ian Lynn. I didn't, I didn't know who you were, so thank goodness for your introduction. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. We appreciate having you. Thank you. Our task today is to talk about maybe the most important structure in all of orthopedics, but maybe also the most boring, as you said, <laughs> the meniscus. Yeah, it's great stuff. Great um, stuff. It's a very common operation, so we need to cover all the details for people. Before we get there, though, I don't think many people know how big of a baseball fanatic you are. I am a baseball I don't know fanatic. If it's fanatic, the appropriate word. Yeah, I, you know that's that. Maybe that's a, a bit aggressive. I love baseball. I, there's no, no, there's no two ways about it. I've been, I played baseball. I played in high school. I played in college. Then I coached baseball for so many years. I don't know what to do with myself. Where does your interest initially stem from? Um, well, my dad was a baseball player, so uh, he grew up in Taiwan, and in Taiwan they had a national team. So when my dad was 10 years old till when he was 12 years old, he was the only pitcher of the Taiwanese national team. How do, today that would never fly, that, right? That would never fly. There's no 80 pitch count uh, back then. So my dad literally was the only pitcher. And uh, back then in Taiwan, they didn't really have to go to class. All they had to do was pass In these, like 6th grade, 5th and 6th yep, grade? Yep. All you had to do is pass the level of tests every year. So instead of going to class a lot, they would practice. So they would practice 6, 7 hours a day. Wow. And uh, they you, used to practice on this red cinder, and they used to do it barefooted. I'm not sure if these are sto- These are some stories my dad told me, so, you know, they're probably half-truths. Right. He walked up to all the school both <laughs> That's ways. Right. You know. That's right. So... And uh, so they literally practiced that way. And in Little League, you know, in Little League, you can't lead off of first base. It's a, they played like the pros. You could lead off of first base. You could pick people off. It was just like that. So they were far more advanced than even we are today. Far more advanced. And he, uh, he was coached by his older brother. So. Okay. So wow. It was good. Yeah, it was How does that good. work? Big age discrepancy there? Pretty big, yeah. Okay. yeah. So he was a pitcher. That was his position. My dad was a pitcher, but he could play anything. Um, he, his nickname was uh, sort of like it would be in Taiwanese, it would be something, but in U- United States language, it would be like Mighty Mouse. <laughs> I love Because he was tiny. He was very, Can very tiny. I call tiny. you Mighty Mouse Jr.? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a big guy, though. So, uh, yeah. Are you bigger than he was? I am uh, considerably okay. bigger than he is. Okay. Well, but back then, you know, my dad, you know, he was about 5'10. And he was a stud. He played all the sports. He played basketball, volleyball. He played baseball. He ran track. And he was Real. very, very, very fast. How so, hard could he throw as a pitcher? Do you have any I don't idea? Know. I don't, don't know. know how fast. So you were born in Boston. I was born in Boston. And that's why I see the Red Sox hat every once in a while. Oh, yeah. I love the Red Sox. Yes, yeah. I love the Red they're, Sox. They're on hard times right now. Well, they usually have a down year, then they have an up year. You know, yeah. you never know. They've won three World Series in the last 15 they've, they've, years. They've they? Won, they won some World Series yeah. recently, so uh, we're pretty pleased about that. But So so have the Cubs, so the, they won one. one. And that, that, so the, the Cubs, you know, they're, they're my Midwest team, so okay. I've, I've had a good you've lately. Had a, you had a really good run. <laughs> yeah. So you, you've told me this story before, but uh, tell everyone about your first at-bat at Grinnell College. So um, at Grinnell College, we used to, well, that was the only year that I remember going down there. We went, went to Ranger, Texas to play Ranger Junior College. 
and Ranger, Texas is so far away, and it's in the middle of nowhere. And we play, we stayed at a place called St. Elmo's Fireproof Apartments, and you can't, there's no Very door high. to it. Four star, <laughs> for sure. Minus four stars, exactly. <laughs> Literally, you, to get into the place, you had to go up the fire escape. So we're, we're not expecting much. But we go out to the field, and it's a beautiful field. And there's this guy warming up, and he's this big lefty. And someone goes, oh, my gosh, that's Pedro Bourbon Jr. It's like, Pedro Bourbon Jr.? Pedro Bourbon was a Cincinnati Reds. Oh, this is his kid. Yeah, this is his kid. I think Pedro Bourbon was a, like a Hall of Famer for the Cincinnati Reds now. Okay. So this is his kid, and he throws heat, you know. And uh, so I go up to a bat. And, oh, Are you I'm, lead off? Or what I am you? batting third. Okay. So he struck out the first two guys. So I come up, and on the way up there, I found this little plastic thing. It looked like a, like a brush. And I said, oh, this is a brush like you're brushing off home plate. So this is going to be my lucky charm of the day. Right. So I put it in my pocket. Right. Put on my batting gloves. I get up there, and, and uh, he throws a first-pitch fastball at me. And, and it just uh, I was like, oh, that's pretty fast. But you I was, watched it. I watched it. I didn't swing. Uh, this is my first at bat, and then next pitch he throws a curveball, and I hit it, and it feels good. And the wind is blowing out, so I won't say that it was a, all my power. The wind was blowing out, and I hit it, and I start running as hard as I can to first base. And I, just as I'm running first base, I clip my cleat on first base, and I so. fell down face first <laughs> in the Texas dirt, just yeah. covered. And I'm just like, oh, I'm so disappointed. I don't you need to get thrown out. I'm sitting here going, no, I didn't get a double. I thought I smacked that thing. Yeah. So I'm standing on first base just so mad at myself. I'm brushing myself off, and the umpire goes, son, you going to go all the way around or not? Touch them all. I was like, what? I didn't even see that it went out. Leave. No, heck no. I only had one home run in my entire life at That's Newton. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. So And so the second time I bet, yeah. same exact thing. I hit another ball, and it hit the fence. It was a double. And I made it to second without tripping. You were this guy's kryptonite. For those two at bats, and he struck me out. So okay. <laughs> it, the, it was a fast game. It was a fast game. We it don't was, need to yeah, the end of the story. Yeah, you know, I, sh- yeah I wish you wouldn't have gone that far. I, yeah. Well, if anyone knows you in town, everyone we all know you to be very passionate about helping high schoolers and even grade school kids kind of develop their baseball skills to the point where didn't you put a, a batting cage in your house or your backyard or yeah, something? Yeah, I have a batting cage in my garage. Okay, that's normal. Yeah, it's normal, it's, isn't it? You can hit all year round. Did your kids have a choice on what they played? Uh, no. <laughs> but, you know, the funniest thing is that, uh, you know, my kids all play baseball, but my sons also started the rugby club at Roosevelt. So they were part of that first team uh, that back in, I don't remember how, it was 2010 or something, they right. started rugby. You and figure what, built-in business for Demos, right? <laughs> well, you know, my son Aaron, who ended up playing at Iowa at rugby, he uh, really? he did tear bear, both of his ACLs. So, no way. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I didn't know that. So how many do you have left in the house right now? I have only one. And he Kanoa. is going to be a senior? Nope, he's gonna be a, he's a freshman this he's only year. A freshman. He's only a freshman. Okay. Yeah, so I got graduated from college to freshman in high school. So, anyway. And he's an aspiring baseball player. He's a level. he's a good baseball player. Yeah. Don't you coach the Roosevelt High School kids in the off season? I do. Yeah, I've up? been doing that since 2010. Um, as much as I can. It's, it's, it's obviously hard as an orthopedic surgeon to do that. But, yeah, I've been doing that since 2010, and, yeah. uh, and I still do. We started this year already, but with this COVID stuff going on, that we've had to shut that down. But so 
we're going to talk about meniscus, but I think that people will be curious, you know, because everyone hurts their arm. All these little leaguers hurt their arm. Yeah. So from your perspective, what do you do to keep them fresh so that they're not hurting themselves come time for the season? Is there any magic sauce that you have that you, you figured out? No, uh, we do a lot of more strengthening than we used to. So when I first started this, we were just stretch, 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 uh, and then you'd throw, you know, warm up a little bit. But now we do a lot more strengthening ahead of time. And so I think that has helped. But we do not necessarily follow pitch count, but we definitely don't overthrow anymore. We know that there's limited throws in everybody's arms. So we're not we're not overthrowing them when they're 8 to, to 14. Right. So. Okay. All right. Well, that's a fairly valuable thing to have an orthopedist guiding your son's throwing program. I mean, that's, <laughs> well, you don't that, get that every day. No, you don't get that every day. That's awesome. All right. So let's let's move on to the meniscus. Everyone comes in. I, th- I would say 80% of patients come in kind of knowing what it is. Like they read about it. They kind of look it up. It's easy to find. What yeah. What is it to you? Describe, you know, we have two different kinds of meniscus. Describe the structure to me and how you talk about it to a patient so they understand it. Yeah, I think it's it's relatively easy because everybody knows that it's perform- some sort of shock absorbency. So I, But I think of the meniscus as much more than that. Not only does it absorb shock between your thigh bone and your shin bone, um, but it also provides some stability because if you look at a meniscus in cross-section, it's sort of triangular shaped, and it does form a little bit of a cup, and it fits the femur very nicely, both on the medial and the lateral side or inside and outside of the knee. There are two menisci. Um, they, they look different, and, um, but they function relatively the same. The lateral meniscus is smaller but wider. Um, the the medial meniscus. And when you say lateral, we're talking outside. Outside, yep. And then the medial, which is the inside, it it's, looks bigger, but it's it's thinner. And uh, that's the one that we seem to tear the most because there's a lot of forces that go across that medial joint space. And in your practice, uh, you see all sorts of injuries. The, the knee is, if I had to guess, you probably do more knee than anything else in terms of joint-wise. Knees and, knees and shoulders, yeah. Knees and shoulders. So knee being... A focus of yours, obviously, you're seeing a lot of meniscus injuries. Yes. Um, describe for me, someone comes in, how, you know, what is the workup? How do you figure out, can you figure out they have a meniscus tear before you even examine them by, based upon the way they tell you the story? And- yeah, the history is so important. I think that uh, when you hear someone and they tell you, yeah, I came in, I was walking down the stairs and I twisted funny and all of a sudden <clears throat> I had a sharp pain. Um, and and since then, it's been something's feeling wrong in my knee like it's catching then you almost always think meniscus first or if they've had a twisting (coughs) injury on the football field and and maybe a little bit of swelling but not a lot of swelling so you're not thinking it's a ligament injury then you start to think meniscus right especially if they have those mechanical symptoms the sharp stabbing catching uh, popping pains especially if it's in a specific joint space and they usually come to see you because does it hurt all the time, or is it with specific uh, things they'd want to do? Or well, I had two patients today, so th- this is a perfect example. Yeah. I had one person come in today and say, "Man, my knee's been bothering me for eight months, but it's only when I squat down to like do cleaning or mm-hmm. like I'm wiping the floors or mopping." Or and I was like, oh, "God, I'm, <laughs> you know, I don't have that problem." That? <laughs> <laughs> Can I get you notes so you don't have to do that at home? <laughs> Here's a prescription. <clears throat> And then, and then I had another one who was actually playing a sport, and then they stopped, planted, and twisted, and all of a sudden they can't straighten their knee out. 
So two different scenarios. One is more chronic, one is more acute. I don't see as many as acute ones as I see more of the ones that have gone on for a while. Yeah. So my patient population is a little bit older. And so those, the ones that are acute, they're, they're a little bit more swollen, they're a lot more tender, and if they can't fully extend it, sometimes the meniscus can actually flip up and block their uh, motion. And that's when you get really concerned. Mm-hmm. And the more chronic one, though you can tell by usually by exam, they say, uh, I'm the tender right here in this joint space. It's not on the other side, it's only on one side. Yeah. And then when you do a special test, we call it McMurray's test, when you're kind of twisting the knee, sometimes you can feel a click Sometimes it's just directly tender in that spot, and that yeah. gives you clues. They, they, they almost wind up like they want to punch you sometimes. When you it, yeah, things. when you it, when it, it clicks really good, yeah, yeah they, they don't like it. For sure. So that, that brings us right into the next you know, uh, topic for discussion. The meniscus, you just described them perfectly. I'm guessing, you know, based on those two scenarios you presented, you're thinking these are different kinds of tears, right? Like not just acute versus chronic, but maybe a different tear pattern. Sure, sure. Um, when I think about menisci, I think there are different tear patterns. One would be like the uh, horizontal tear, where they're like a cleavage tear, where it splits down the middle. Um, then we have radial tears, where it's it goes from the inside to the outside, but in a straight line. I don't know about you, but those are bad actors. I feel. Like. I don't. The radial tears are tough for me because, as we'll talk about, I'm sure, is the blood supply, the meniscus. It's it, 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 those are really hard for me because it's such a small looking tear. But it causes so much pain, and they're hard to fix. So you might try to fix some of it and leave some of it. Uh, it's it's hard. And they usually start on the inner third where there's not, not very good blood supply. Yeah, that's the problem with the meniscus tears are only the outer, I always tell people, 25 to 30% of the meniscus has good vascularity. Then there's an area where there's another, think of it in thirds, I guess. The second third would be okay vascularity but not great and then the inner third there's really no vascularity right and so if you try to fix something in the inner third there's just not going to work it's not going to work and that's why radial tears are tough because it starts in the what we call the white zone maybe in a kid like a teenager you could consider fixing it because if you can get 50 percent of the outer part to heal and then maybe if you have to come back and clean up the inner 50 percent it's still probably a win but some of those radial tears cut all the way through yeah, and, and, and those are the tough ones, but I, I would consider putting a stitch in it just to hold it together and hope that it, some of it heals right. uh, to preserve. Because if you think about it, if you try to ellipse out that tear, I mean, the further it goes back to the edge, the much bigger you have to take out because otherwise you're leaving lips for it to get caught. I think a hard thing in clinic to, to talk to patients about, they always say, well, what should I do? You know, you have, they have a meniscus tear, and let's say they don't have much arthritis, and they say... It bothers me this and that and the other, but I can work around that. You know, it's sometimes hard for me to guide them. Uh, do you do you tell them? Do you tell any people that hey, we need to get this out? Could it cause more problems by leaving it in there? If they're having mechanical symptoms, um, if they're really having a lot of catching, uh, I you, you scope knees when sometimes you see these these flap tears and then you can see them irritating parts of the joint cartilage right so i don't like them when they're they're catching but if they're just complaining of a generalized achiness if they overdo it and if they don't overdo it then they're relatively good uh, I, I tell people to live with it as much as they as long as they can choice. Especially, especially if they're older because you know you're not going to fix them right but right. uh and uh, you, but the younger kids uh, they're usually more acute and so they're a lot more painful those are the ones you worry about the most because you want if you want to fix them you want to get to them early. 
Yeah, for sure. No, I agree. Now, to to if you say, hey, we need to do surgery here, you've seen everyone's seen some, you know, and I I don't know if in your training how far it goes back, but everyone's seen the scars of an open meniscectomy. What that used to mean. Did you do any open meniscectomies back in the day? Very rarely, but that was still not necessarily in vogue. But uh, when I was training in the early '90s. Um, yeah, I saw, and we certainly saw way more of those back then because, you know, the, 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 what, the total meniscectomies were probably in vogue till maybe the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Then they realized the importance of it, and then everybody started to cutting down on it. So When you say cutting down, you're saying per, trying to preserve some good remaining meniscus, correct? My, my strategy has always been leave as much as possible. Even if you have a horizontal cleavage tear, and you're taking out just the bottom half and mm-hmm. leaving the top half, even though I'm not sure if that's great either, but at least you're trying yeah. because you, you can't fix it. I don't think those are fixable, um, especially if they don't go all the way to the edge. What happens when you have a tear that is just not fixable? It's torn in multiple planes and you have to take the whole thing out. Why is that bad for the knee? Well, like I said, the meniscus is important for shock absorption. So I would say that if the meniscus is intact, it literally transmits 50 to 70 percent of the load from the femur to the tibia the problem is if you take it out then not only do you lose the load absorption you can probably increase the the forces contact forces across that joint probably two to three fold and so thus you have a much higher chance of arthritis plus remember the meniscus is important for stability so think of a like a ball baseball sitting in a cup and if the baseball's sitting there and it's nice and stable, but let's say you remove half of it, all of a sudden that baseball can travel. And that's what I think about in the, in the knee. So that meniscus is important for the stability too. And that, that slight translation can cause more damage to the joint cartilage as well. So a really hard conversation is that like 16-year-old kid who has a, a fixable bucket handle tear and they're in the middle of their football season and the family and the kids say, take it out, I want to play. Because there's differences in recoveries, right, with repairs versus meniscectomies. Yep. Can you describe kind of how you navigate that with your patients? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I had an elite wrestler here in town whose scholarship de- demanded that he win state. Whoa, really? Yeah. It, it was, was basically, it was basically contingent. That's my understanding. Wow. So he had a bucket handle lateral meniscus tear, and his father wouldn't let me fix it. And... uh well, it was a struggle to take that thing out because it was fixable. Mm-hmm. It just went against my, uh, it just all makes my, you, oh, it was you know, queasy. I was very queasy. But he ended up do, winning state. Really? I, I, had to, I had to suck out his knee before he actually wrestled just so he could win state. Really? And he doggone if he didn't win it. And he went on to Division One college wrestling. Wow. And, did, and so well, that was Well, in that case, you probably say it's worth it, right? $250,000 to a— <laughs> that's a— it's an expensive meniscectomy. You saved right. a lot of money yeah. for dad. <laughs> but uh, the conversation is that I tell all my younger kids, if I can fix it, I'm going to fix it. Um, I know the hard the hard ones are the seniors. It's the last season. Um, boy, it's tough. Well, I had a, I had another one who had a previous AC reconstruction. She had a meniscus tear, and it was bucket handle tear. She tore it playing soccer again. Mm-hmm. And the worst part is she had an MRI scan prior to, given done by somebody else, and they said it was a meniscus tear. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do anything about it. She went to play, and it sure enough, it tore. Yeah. So, I had to have the conversation that I'm I'm fixing this because 
she's an athlete she's yeah. a dancer and i was like i have to fix this thing now fast forward you know 25 years of of orthopedics that you've probably seen over your career and and you're doing these through an arthroscope yes uh, well which means through small for the most part through small incisions that is correct i, I try to do them all inside we call it all inside technique we used to do the uh inside out technique where you'd make an incision on the back of the knee and then right. and you literally use a spoon to catch suture and passer needles and then tie it on the outside of the knee which actually worked very nicely it was i tell you what that's the gold standard in inside my book inside out's amazing right it it feels so good it, when you're doing it you can get so many good stitches and it, there's no problem at all fixing it's just that way no well it's but it's hard it is it's it's not it can easy be, it's not easy how, how do you so you know some of the smaller implants now do you fix some of them all inside where you're doing it through the scope and you i try to do them all inside now because okay. i think the 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 way these sutures are made now that and they're very low profile and they have these anchors that fit up along the capsule and then when you cinch them down you can actually see the meniscus skin pulled to the capsule it's pretty satisfying actually i think that the, the technology is a lot better now do you do anything to roughen the capsule up or create bleeding back there yeah and that's important i think that i i've done it two different ways i'd like to take a little bit of a shaver or a rasp and rasp the outside to roughen it up and kind of stimulate some bleeding i've also taken needles and just poke holes along there we call it trephination i don't know if it who helps or not who, better, who knows but. works better but uh um and then when you fix it i just like to fix it and I like to spread them out about oh, six or seven mil millimeters or even more and try to get a few statistics in there. Now, why was the dad afraid of you fixing this kid's meniscus tear? T tell us about the recovery when you fix the meniscus. Well, when you fix it, it's for me, it's uh, protected weight-bearing inflection for probably a good four to six weeks uh, because of the shear forces across that. Um, and he wouldn't have been able to wrestle. Right. And that's, that's just problem, that's right? a problem. And then I, I'm pretty aggressive after that with closed chain and open chain exercises where you're just working your quads and your hamstrings. Again, the most important thing after your meniscus repair is strengthening your knees because that's what's going to give you stability. And what are your thoughts on getting back to sports after repair? I, what, I, what's your timeline typically? After a meniscus repair? Yeah. I, I, I kind of treat it like an ACL. It's almost like six months. Yeah. And uh, I think it's that... It's almost harder than I, an ACL. I, I honestly think that it's... I get more nervous about sending a meniscus yeah. repair back than an ACL. <laughs> well, when you're doing a repair of the meniscus, at least in my mind, you're almost hoping you're doing an ACL because I think the healing rates are a little bit better. Right, uh, and that's a, that's a great point because, again, stability is important, right? So if you have a ligament tear in addition to a, like a bucket handle meniscus tear, you should fix the knee and get it stable uh, as you fix it. Number one, it will give you much better chance for it to heal. Number two, that the bleeding, extra bleeding that you get from fixing a ligament mm -hmm. actually can help stimulate healing as yeah. well. And on the flip side, if you have a simple little tear, you get in there, okay, this is an inner third tear, I'm gonna be able to preserve most of the meniscus. You're using little instruments to bite that out and smooth it off, is that how Yeah, you? that's the beauty of arthroscopy is they have specialized instruments that have little tiny heads. You, you can't even <laughs> believe that, but then when you put them in the camera, they look huge. They <laughs> you just, and you, these little things just bite out just a nice little amount, and you and they're, some of them are rounded, some of them are curved up, some are curved down, curved to the right, curved to the left. So you can get to almost everywhere you want to and do a really good job of trimming things up. And maybe the biggest dichotomy in sports medicine is, is telling people that after that, they can play in a couple weeks, right? So then they're thinking, well, why wouldn't we just take them all out? And that's why you have to re-engineer re the conversation. Well, 
if you're taking it out, you might get arthritis in an earlier age. But that recovery is pretty quick with a simple meniscectomy. Yeah, I, I, two weeks may be a little early for me because, again, my population is a little bit older. And, uh, and so I, I kind of insist that they give it a little bit more time, strengthen mm-hmm. the legs before they try to get back to normal activities. But uh, I've had people play, this, play the game with their stitches in, yeah. too. Yeah. And that just drives me crazy, but yep. you're just like, well, I guess that's it. But yeah. that conversation is very difficult because when you say, well, if I take it out, actually you'll be probably feeling pretty good in two to three weeks. If I fix it, yeah, more like six months. That's a hard thing to tell people, but most of the parents get it. Um, most of the kids cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that's it's true. Tough. It's it, tough. It, I mean, especially these seniors, you know, I feel so for bad sure. for them. They're the toughest ones. Now, last scenario that I think everyone wants to know about. Um, in an older population, a 65, 70-year-old has pain seemingly stemming from the meniscus, and you get an MRI to kind of look three-dimensionally at the knee, but then you discover there's a fair amount of arthritis. How do you walk people through that scenario? Because you also do knee replacements, correct? Yeah, I do a lot of knee replacements. Now, this is a great thing to talk about because a lot of times people, People come in and say, my primary doctor got this MRI scan of my knee, and it, it shows a meniscus tear. But they didn't tell them that, well, your bone is bruised, your joint cartilage is completely eroded. Well, to be perfectly honest with you, knee scopes don't help that patient. With the caveat that if you're having significant mechanical symptoms and it wasn't hurting before and it's just catching, right. then maybe I would do it. But I'm very hesitant about doing an arthroscopy on a truly arthritic patient with a degenerative meniscus tear. If their if their X-rays show they have decent joint space though, and they had a new injury, you'd consider doing it to Absolutely. try and buy as much time on that knee as possible. Yeah. Again, I, I typically try to I try to limit it to those people who have mechanical symptoms. I don't do it just for generalized achiness okay. because I don't think it really helps. Now. Again, a lot of my patients come in several months, and this has been bothering, so it's already too late. They're, they're going to get their scope because that's what they've been told that they need. Right, right. So. Some people come in, and they know what they need, and um, if it's reasonable, we do it for them. But sometimes you say, hey, this is not what you need. You know, That's you, right. It's, if, it's a hard conversation because then a lot of times they'll go somewhere else. And the, That is true. That's true. And as you said, you know, um, when the meniscus is torn, you have those increased contact forces. So on MRI, you see those bone bruises, and yep. that's when you know – this might be too far gone in some cases for me to reverse this and make them completely better with the scope. Yeah, and that's what that's that's one of my major conversations, and I, I always tell them if it is catching on you so much that you're having a hard time doing your daily activities, that's the only reason to do your surgery because if it's just a generalized achiness, treat it more like arthritis, give them some cortisone shots, some other you know stem cell injections, hyaluron and gel injections, those yeah. kind of things, and treat it more like arthritis. Well, this has been awesome. Um, a lot of good information here. People don't realize that the meniscus, a meniscectomy is the most common orthopedic procedure. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, I mean, it and, and it, if you look at every one of our practices, I mean, they, you know, everybody, if they have a busy day, you typically have a meniscectomy on there somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, we so, just think that it was up just to the 1970s. People were just making an incision, taking right. them all out. Right. And now we can take a little portion out and in four to six weeks, hopefully back to the livelihood they want to be at. And That's our goal. It's, it's, it's been a, a large part of what we do in helping people's lives. So thanks so much for coming on and talking about this. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Joint Effort, a podcast from Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. 
If you have questions about this podcast and wish to schedule an appointment with the surgeon, call 515-224-1414 or visit dmos.com.